So the theme for September, I don't know if you remember it was, um, you probably did because of the memory verse there, is God is greater than our hearts. And Pastor obviously spoke about that uh, last week. And um, so we're just going to look and stay with the theme. And we're just going to look at um, condemnation a, li a little bit deeper and, and see what, um, what we find from God's word. So um, I'm just going to begin with a story. And um, then I'll just have three points and that'll be it. We shouldn't be here too long. Um, so... The story goes, a group were touring around Egypt when one realized his wallet had been stolen during the night. The elderly guide said, I will get it for you. And he called the camp before him and asked who had the money. All denied having it. And then he made them go alone and think solemnly for an hour. Same result of denial. Only the guilty person was getting more restless all the while. The guide then had a mule placed in a tent and ordered each person in the group to go in there alone, close the flap, and pull the mule's tail, telling them the mule would bray when the guilty person pulled. One by one, they filed in and out. No sound came from the mule. <laughs> now, said the guide, let each person approach and put their palms on my cheeks. I will pick the thief. They had not proceeded long before the guide cried, behold the guilty man. He was right, and the convicted man confessed. But he also asked, how did he know? Um, so the guide, he explained, before going into the donkey, the guide had daubed the donkey's tail with some aromatic oil. Every honest person, person pulled the tail and their hands became fragrant. The thief was afraid to touch the tail. His hands were different. <laughs> so uh, that's a little bit um, kind of description what conscience does to us and what happens when we feel a certain way um, we have a burden of, of condemnation upon us and it, it causes us to, to, um, to do different things or to, to, to live differently even, okay? And to think differently. So um, uh, obviously th this is a segue into our first point. It's a little bit of a repeat of what Pastor said last week. Hopefully you guys will understand. Um, I'm just gonna say it anyway, but um, uh, this first point is about just condemnation, okay? So this first part, first type of condemnation obviously is easily understood, but not as readily accepted. Um, and this is the condemnation that one feels when we have done something that's clearly wrong before God. Um, it tastes very bitter. And it, obviously, like I said, it causes men and women to do the strangest things when we're under that burden of condemnation. So after tasting of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, um, condemnation drove Adam and Eve to sew fig leaves together and to make themselves aprons to try and hide them hide their, uh, their guilt and sin from God. And when, when Cain was asked where his brother Abel was, he said, I don't know, Well, in Genesis 4, 4, 9. But then he said also, he added to it, um, am I my brother's keeper? Okay, so, um, you know, a lot of times you get a sense of someone's spirit when, when they respond to you, when, <laughs> when you're dealing with your kids and things like that, you can get a heart attitude from them based on what they say because they're dealing with something in, in their heart, okay? Um, so as I said, uh, just condemnation causes people to deny evidence for the existence of God and um, to, to believe in, in other doctrines instead, like, like the theory of evolution and things like that. People are wholesale believing in that, um, whereas the Bible teaches the opposite. Okay? And um, just one more little story about the unusual things that people do when we've got condemnation upon us. There's a story of a man who had often been told that there is a skeleton in the cupboard of every household no matter how respectable that household may be. 
and this man determined to put this opinion to a practical test. So selecting for the subject of his experiment a venerable archdeacon of the church against whom the most censorious critic had never breathed a word, he went to the nearest post office and dispatched a telegram, telegram to the revered gentleman. And he said, all is discovered, fly at once. The archdeacon disappeared and has never been heard of since. <laughs> so that story is actually attrib attributed to uh, the guy who wrote Sherlock Holmes, um, Arthur Conan Doyle. Um, apparently he played a, a prank on someone. Um, all right, so yes, I've done that already. So what should we do when we're faced with, with um, condemnation? Well, if you've done what Pastor said last week from his message, you've already sorted that out, right? <laughs> um, but for the unsaved person, turn to John 3. We'll just go through it. We'll just read one verse here and we'll double over. So we're all familiar with um, John 3.16. But it goes on afterwards and it talks about condemnation a little bit, which is very interesting. So John 3.17 says, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he had not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. So it's very plain, very obvious. Um, if you're under just condemnation from God and conviction from the Holy Spirit, obviously you need to deal with that. Um, but an example of someone, despite the fact that it's been obvious, that didn't do that is a, a man named Achan in Joshua chapter 7. And uh, he had taken when they, um, I think it was the Battle of Jericho, I can't remember now, one of the first battles that them, Joshua and them did when they went into the Promised Land, um, he saw some gold and some, um, some clothes and he liked them, so he, he took them and he, they were told before they fought the battle not to take anything. This was the first battle, it was like the tide to God, everything will go in, um, everything will go to God from that battle and after that they were able to take the spoils of war from the other battles. and. Um, despite the fact that um, Joshua called out and said, there's sin in the camp and um, we don't have God's blessing and we're going to have to find out and deal with it. You know, he, he still kept his mouth shut and he still thought maybe, perhaps, there's a chance that I'll get away with this. And then they called everyone together and they said, oh, it's in the house of so-and-so, his father's house, you know, of him, his ancestors and things. And they got separated and they were like, now it's someone here. And he still didn't own up. <laughs> And then they went down, they're like, okay, we'll whittle it down. And they did a lot, cast a lot. And it was his, his family. Um, I don't know what their surnames were or whatever. <laughs> um, and then he still didn't know enough. And then it wasn't until they actually just pinpointed him and called him up and said, give the glory to God. What have you done? <laughs> and he said, at that stage then, he confessed, but it was much too late. Um, we could go there, Joshua 7.20. Joshua, Joshua Judges, Ruth Snager. Yeah, Joshua 7.20 says, And Achan answered Joshua and said, 
Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and thus and thus have I done. And he explains it there. Um, but it, it just, a lot of the times people wait until it's, until it's too late to admit what, what they should have admitted a long time ago. And um, you know, that's why the Bible says in the New Testament that if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. Which someone else wouldn't have to do the judging for us. We would um, judge ourselves and um, get the problem fixed ourselves, okay? So that's obviously um, uh, just condemnation in the sense of salvation or not, okay? And the, the encouragement is obviously don't be like Achan. Um, and there's an opposite example of Achan. There's someone, um, you might know, the thief on the cross, okay? And he, he judged himself that he, he knew that he had done wrong. When he's on the cross, there's a, the other fella on the other side of, of Jesus, um, wherever they were placed. Um, he was uh, criticizing Jesus or um, saying, could he not save, save them all if he was indeed the Son of God? And um, the thief, he spoke up and he said, you know, you should, basically he said he should have a different attitude because you should understand that we're in this and we've got just condemnation upon us but this man had done nothing amiss, okay? So that's obviously the, the, the encouragement if anybody here isn't saved uh, to look at the example, not of Achan, don't copy him, but look to the, the thief on the cross because he said, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said, of course, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. So that's why we preach and that's why we, we preach Christ and we say now is a time of salvation because we never know, we really never know um, when, when it's our time because the Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die, but after this the judgment. And uh, it teaches many other things that if we would open the Bible and actually look, like it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. And um, it says elsewhere that God will by no means clear the guilty. And, and it says again, shall not the judge of all the earth do right. Okay, so that's, that's that first part. But... Can a Christian experience condemnation from God, okay? So if you go to Romans 8, this is where we'll spend a little bit more time. Romans 8, okay. Um, Romans 8.1, everybody should be familiar with this verse. It's a quite popular verse. People put it up on their walls and their houses. <laughs> And things of like that. So Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So does a Christian experience condemnation from God now that he is saved? So the answer is, of course, no and yes. <laughs> because it depends, okay? The, the context of this is saying, or I guess if you read on, um, like in verse 3, for what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh, verse four, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit, all right? So God is teaching us here that through Jesus Christ, we've got victory over the law. The law, 10 commandments, condemns us and we were condemned by that and we were surely guilty, okay? So we have victory over the law because the law has been fulfilled by Christ and the strength of it has been defeated okay and in turn then we have victory over sin because it, you know Jesus said in John 8 if we die in our sins 
who won't go to where the father is. That's what he was trying to teach the other um, the religious Jews that were arguing with him. Okay, but um, if you turn back just the page, Romans six seven. Or well, six six. We might as well read six six. It says, "Knowing this, that our that knowing this that our old man is crucified with him, with Jesus, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin, for he that is dead is freed from sin." So we have the victory over sin because Jesus died and He took that penalty of sin upon Him, and in that way, when Jesus died, we died with Him, like it says here, and therefore we've got the victory over death too. Not that we probably won't die. I mean, everybody's hoping that the rapture will come when we're alive because we were, it's nice to go straight to the clouds rather than a roundabout way. <laughs> okay, But um, we do have the victory over death because that sting is taken away. And um, if you've ever been to a Christian funeral, you'll notice the big difference between how a Christian funeral is conducted and what they say and then a different funeral and how it, there's a lot more hope involved. Um, Anyway, okay, so, so yes, there is therefore now no condemnation because when we see God, we'll have a righteousness that's not our own. We'll have Christ's righteousness on us and it'll be nothing to do with us. So we'll be embarrassed, basically. Do you know that sort of idea? But Christ's righteousness is, was given when we get saved and we will know that we don't deserve to be here, but we are anyway through what Christ has done and it, it's an amazing thing. So we're saved from eternal condemnation and have salvation that cannot be taken away, the Bible teaches, okay? But, uh, you see my points up here, already um, probably looking at them, but um, as Christians, we can certainly still do things that God clearly condemns, okay? Um, you know, uh, the, the Paul describes in, in Romans 7, he says, I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. Um, you know, to will is present with me, but how to perform it, that which is good, I find not, okay? So we still have sin in our flesh, but that's why God took, made that, he did an operation and it's like he, he's, he severed or um, he took away that, that ability for the flesh to condemn also the soul when we do sin, okay? Um, so obviously uh, we can still do wrong because the Bible says, grieve not the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians 4, it says, grieve not the Holy Spirit, okay? Um, and also Paul, if you read in the book of Acts, Paul says that he lived like this. He says, I am herein, I'm in Acts 24, do I exercise myself to always have a conscience void of offense towards God and toward men. So he, he was trying to maintain his conscience. He was trying to live a life that was pleasing both to God and that didn't, um, he didn't sin against other people. Not that he wouldn't offend someone by, you know, you can offend someone when you try and give them a tract. <laughs> Not that kind of offense, but offense where he would actually um, you know, hurt someone or sin against someone. So that, that's what he was trying to do, okay? And we have other examples here um, of, of Christians who received judgment, I guess, or uh, had consequences come upon them because of um, things that they did or ways that they lived. So Ananias and Sapphira, I hope you know the story. They went and they sold a bit of land um, and they kept back part of the price. Um, but they lied to everyone and said, um, and, you know, to get the glory of man or whatever, that they had given the whole thing over to the Lord. How amazing and how brilliant is that? Um, look at them, you know, rather than for the glory of God. And uh, they were challenged by Peter and he said, have you given everything that you said? That, you know, have you, is this what you said that you did? And they were like, yeah, well, Ananias first. And then he said, why have you lied unto the Holy Ghost? All right. 
Um, so obviously God knew and God dealt with that. He fell down dead and then the same thing happened to Sapphira. Okay? So these people were saved. They were in the church. They were um, starting to live for God, I guess, and uh, it got cut short. And Lot, if you think about Lot, you know, the Bible calls Lot righteous Lot. And it talks in Peter, 2 Peter 2, says that his, his heart or his soul was vexed from day to day. Because when he was living in Sodom, he saw the wicked lifestyle and he was among all that. He was in uh, living there and it, it, it grieved him or it, it affected him deeply. Because it wasn't really somewhere that he belonged. But he, for the riches that Sodom had or for good business or for the money, he decided he'd live there anyway. Okay? And... Um, you know, I kind of reverse that verse that Moses, we say about Moses, it says here, he esteemed the treasures in Sodom greater riches than the reproach of Christ. Whereas we read in that Moses did the opposite. And the result and the consequences for him were that he lost most of his family and all of his worldly riches when Sodom was overthrown. And that's there in Genesis 19. And um, despite being saved and on his way to heaven at the time. Okay, so um, this is another example of just condemnation. No one likes to talk about it. No one likes to have judge, um, you know, condemnation upon us. But um, that feeling that we get, it's, it's something that we ought to deal with. Okay? And then I'm going to look at the opposite in a minute. But um, uh, we ought not to. And we ought to look at the Bible. The Bible teaches us that these examples were given to us that we might learn. We might learn not to do the things, let's say, that we read that the Israelites did when they were the, in the wilderness. The complaining, um, not do what Ananias, the Sapphira, and Lot did. Saul, Saul was basically, um, what happened was with him, um, Saul was sidelined as a servant of God when he got impatient waiting for Samuel. Instead, he went against his conscience and God's word by offering a burnt offering himself, which he wasn't supposed to do, obviously. And um, Samuel, when he came and he realized what he had done, uh, am I mixing this up? Oh yeah, and he had done more than that anyway. Um, he said, the Lord had rent the kingdom of Israel from thee this day and had given it to a neighbor of thine that is better than thou. Okay? So it affects um, the way we can serve God as well when we're not dealing with this kind of stuff. And um, you know, obviously the goal is we, we, we wouldn't like to hinder anybody from getting the gospel <laughs> or from um, you know, accepting God's word and becoming saved like as we are. But sometimes the way we live can, can, um, can hurt that. And we don't want to do that. We want to be a vessel meet for the master's use, like the Bible says. Um, but finally, the prodigal son teaches that there is hopefully a way back. You know, if you come to God, you'll be surprised. <laughs> okay. Um, so the story of the prodigal son teaches us that we can get far away from God despite being his child. But thankfully uh, for him, for the prodigal son, there is still space for repentance um, from that faraway country. And uh, Lord willing, you know, if we find ourselves in those kind of places, that would, um, there would still be space for repentance. Okay? But the, the, the critical thing basically is whether you're saved or unsaved, the choice is um, basically whether you're going to get offended with God or not. Okay? And I, th I think that's a really big point. Like, a lot of people get offended and they go away. You know, um, Jesus was talking about saying, you know, eat my flesh and that kind of thing, and drink my blood. Was it in John 6? And people are like, what is he talking about? <laughs> they didn't understand. Um, and they said, ah, you know, this isn't for me. This isn't what I've signed up for. These are called, these were disciples of Christ, people who had chosen to follow him at a previous point. 
And um, a load of people left at that point. It would be like me saying something here and everyone just going, uh, we'll, we'll just wait till the pastor comes back and everybody just start walking out and leave. <laughs> you, know, you know, that kind of idea. Um, so people were walking away and Jesus was watching all these people walk away that said that they, they did want to follow him, but now they changed their minds. And um, he turned to the apostles like, and he said, will ye also go away? You know, what Peter said, um, to whom shall we go? Um, <laughs> uh, thou hast the words of eternal life. Okay, but um, it, those people got offended. Okay, and a lot of times you see people, they leave church or even if they're trying to receive, you're trying to give them the gospel, they, they'll get offended with what's said. And they'll say, you know, I couldn't believe in a God that blah, 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 you know, and enter whatever at that point. Okay, and obviously getting offended, even as a Christian, will distance us from God, will be further from God. And that's not what we want, okay? But the opposite happens then. When we obey and when we choose to, um, to, to live for God by faith, when we choose to uh, accept the truth that we didn't like. <laughs> um, you know, uh, Joseph, he, he, he always seems to, um, he's an amazing example. He always seems to just do everything really well and you don't know how he's coming to those decisions because he should be so hurt and so offended. But, um, you know, his brothers, uh, sold him away and he went away and um, he ended up working in Potiphar's house. But the Bible says the Lord was with him, you know, and, it, you know, you could have nothing at all. You could be <laughs> sold from your family and you could be away doing, you know, slave labor in some foreign country. But if God is with you, that's that's really what's most important. I don't know if any of you have seen there's a video going around called um, Tortured for Christ um, about the story of Richard and Sabine Wormbrand, Wormbrand. I think they were Romanian, if I can, I don't remember, but it was during the time of the Iron Curtain and um, they had a, he was a Lutheran pastor, but he got taken away. But um, it's just an amazing story. You know, if you've read the book, I hear it's very intense, but um, there's just an hour long video going around. If you want the link, um, the people who recorded it or whatever are filmed that are um, letting people watch for free right now and that kind of thing. But that's just pretty amazing how you they, know, they, they suffered so much, yet they had Christ. And like Joseph, in Joseph's case, God meant it for good. And it, it, it all worked out in the end, you know. And you're like, wow, just amazing, amazing testimony that they have. Okay, so we'll move along. False condemnation. And this is closer to where, you know, this verse, for if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Um, um, false condemnation. So I mentioned earlier um, saying uh, that verse from Genesis says, um, shall not the judge of all the earth do right, okay? So based on that and maybe another verse that says um, that God cannot lie in the book of Titus, we're going to say that God cannot falsely condemn a person ever because God doesn't lie, okay? And God doesn't, he's, he's the judge of all the earth, he's going to do right and he's not going to falsely accuse someone of something that's not true, okay? So when we do come across false condemnation, it can only come from one of two other places. Basically, the answer is within or without, but um, I'm just going to break that down either from ourselves, okay? So I think this is, this is a big thing. I come from a, a Catholic background, you know, and, and you, um, you know, you're always kind of, um, um, just the attitude you get of penance, you know, when you're a Catholic. And, um, you're always trying to do right and you're always trying to undo wrong and you know I always I was really firmly believed in the you know good deed a day help an old lady across the road you know do something like that 
Um, and the, the, the thoughts that we allow ourselves to think and stuff can affect us deeply, okay? So, um, ourselves, we often doubt the truth. Now I'm talking from a, of a Bible point of view now, okay? And believe our own condemning thoughts instead, okay? So I know obviously the question is, why is it that we're so quick to believe what we think God is saying rather than what's the actual truth, okay? So, you know, I said that about um, when people are, get, you know, you witness to them and um, they get offended. But, you know, oftentimes when you ask them more, it's an opinion they have about they, what they think the God of the Bible is like, okay? And that's condemning them or that's offending them, but it's actually not true. But they don't want to look at what it actually says or... Um, they're holding on to that thought and you can't give in some other ways, you know, that kind of idea. Okay, and, and, and yeah, yeah, we could talk about the unsaved all day long and all that kind of stuff. But I know about Christians, a lot of times we do the same thing, okay? We're no, no better than they, we've got flesh. Um, you know, and a lot of times we don't want to, to accept, you know, certain things. And we choose the worse rather than the better, if you know what I mean by that. And it, it's such a pity. Like uh, Exodus 4, if you turn there, Moses, we'll look at Moses here. Exodus chapter 4. Genesis, Exodus. One second, is it bright? Okay, so God is talking to Moses here. And um, he's calling Moses to um, go and deliver Israel from Pharaoh. Right? Um, I'd probably have a similar or worse reaction if God asked me to do that. <laughs> okay. Um, so this is um, some of what Moses is saying here in Exodus 4 verse 1. Some of his excuses are things he says. And Moses answered and said, But behold, they will not believe me nor hearken unto my voice, for they will say, The Lord hath not appeared unto thee. <laughs> so uh, in other words, they're saying there that, um, you know, people will say, ah, Moses, you know, go on away. Or um, they'll point at Moses and go, ah, you're a fraud. God didn't speak to you. You're a charlatan, you, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And he, all this stuff is going through his mind. And he just doesn't want to believe. He's talking to the God of all the, all the universe, the God of eternity. And God is saying truth to him. But he doesn't want to believe it, okay? And a lot of times we struggle with that too, you know, um, um, Moses is kind of struggling here with uh, maybe the concept of not being good enough. Um, you know, who's he? <laughs> who's he? And we, we struggle with those sort of things too. Um, but the Bible teaches us like that, um, Romain, um, he had, it says in Second Corinthians, I think, um, for God, you know, he had made him to be, Jesus, to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him, okay? So th the whole kind of good enough thing if God asks us to do something and he, he, it's not about worthiness, you know, it's about God choosing to use us and we're not good enough. Yeah, maybe we're not good enough. It, you know, it's like, it's almost like a half truth that we choose to believe. Yeah, we're not good enough or whatever, but if God be for us, who can be against us? And that kind of idea, okay? And it, this is the kind of stuff that will probably go through everybody's mind uh, at some time or another. Um, we struggle with... Um, just not being able to do things and not feeling like we're able to do things and not feeling up to something. And, um, you know, if God is speaking to us directly, God uses scripture and um, he uses, and not, not a condemning, but a kind of a convicting. And conviction is much different to 
condemnation. Conviction is something that's restorative, that draws us closer to God and um, really humbles us and um, um, draws us closer to him. I guess I've already said that. But condemnation is something that would really cause us to turn away and to be like, oh, you know. And um, that's, that's something that we need to, like, if it's false, that we need to, to put down and we need to believe God instead for, okay? So um, uh, I had another excuse there. He's in verse 10. He's saying, Moses said unto the Lord, O my Lord, I'm not eloquent, neither heretofore, nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant, but I am s of, I'm slow of speech and of a slow tongue. Um, so um, it's basically Moses saying the same thing uh, that I just kind of talked about there. So I guess we should move on. But um, God was telling Moses something he didn't believe. And uh, yeah, it's hard. And that's where Jesus kind of sometimes rebuked his disciples. And he said, oh, ye of little faith. But um, um, yeah, we ought to, we ought to believe God. If God, what's that from you that um, if God says that that's settled it or something like that, isn't it? Yeah, whatever. Yeah. If he said it, that's it. Wasn't it one of the, the ten things or whatever? Anyways. So that's, that's Moses. So there, there's condemning from ourselves. And then, um, oh yeah, sometimes, you know, stuff is just so good we can't accept it either. That's the opposite. <laughs> um, so I mentioned Peter already, and I won't, I won't go again with that. But, um, you know, um, Peter, uh, Jesus performed a miracle or whatever Peter was fishing and then all of a sudden he said cast a net on the other side he, Peter had been fishing all night <laughs> and um, he caught nothing and uh, you know that was his field that was his thing that was his his um, area of expertise you know and then Jesus comes along then and says hey we sure cast a net on the other side <laughs> and uh, he's like fair enough if that's what you want me to do it's totally idiotic but you know that he shows it down and then there's so many fish that the boat's like being dragged underwater <laughs> and um, Peter just can't can't comprehend that um, I suppose it's almost like winning the lotto or something for a fisherman <laughs> having more fish than your net could even hold or your two boats both of them were beginning to sink and um, a lot of times when we're, we're blessed beyond measure you know um, for some people it can be a somewhat negative thing because they're just like I'm so undeserving of this this is ridiculous like uh, I don't know, I haven't really, um, uh, I can't think of a point in my life that I, I got to that, but this is something that can happen to people too, where they're just, um, God is too good and they're just, they just don't deserve it. And, and again, it's that whole turning away thing that they just, um, you know, so people struggle with their salvation on that point, where they say, you know, I just, <laughs> it can't be that easy, I can't just, oh, surely I have to do something, or, you know, that kind of idea. And, and we just need to be careful um, you know, if, again, if God says that that settles it, and it ought to be, um, it ought to be so, I guess. Okay, so um, back in First John, just as a point of, you know, how to tell, you know, or how to realize what it is that's going through our mind and whether, whether we should um, ignore it or not, or put it aside, if you know what I mean by that. Okay, sorry. 1 John 4. I should probably. Okay. 1 John 4 1 says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Okay? But I'm just 
just going to hone in on the, the idea of um, spirits or, um, you know, you hear the Bible called the spirit of jealousy or the, you know, um, when we say people are in good spirits or they're in bad spirits, that sort of idea, okay? So um, a lot of times we don't know exactly why we think a certain thing or feel a certain way. But, um, you know, the Bible teaches us if we combat that with, with God's truth, with God's word, um, we can free ourselves by first knowing the truth and then believing it in by faith and not a feeling, okay? So basically, if you counteract whatever it is that we're going through with the truth of God's word and you hold on to that instead, that can either validate something way that you're feeling or tell you that maybe you should um, address that in prayer and things, okay? So the Bible tells us a lot of things that um, you know, helps us, a lot of promises that help us. Um, like Romans 6.11 says, reckon ourselves dead indeed unto sin, okay? And a lot of times we don't feel that way. If we go by our feelings, like, wow, sin is very much alive in my life. But the Bible says, no, no, in Christ, you're dead to that, okay? And it, and it switches around and it turns, turns our, our mindset, our perspective around, okay? And then if we're struggling with something, maybe the Bible says, there is no temptation taking you, but such as is common to man. So it's a, an encouragement for a start saying, everybody struggles, <laughs> but God is able. Yeah, yeah. God is able to help you, okay, if you would accept his help. And he will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able. You're able to deal with this. You're not, if you're not helpless. You're not a victim. You're not um, hopeless, a hopeless case or... You know, God can help all these other people, but you, oh, no, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's, it's not like that. Um, and then, you know, sometimes we're struggling with something and um, we don't understand why things are a certain way in our life. The Bible teaches, you know, that God will never leave us nor forsake us. Um, so we need to hold on to those truths rather than think that God is far from us. And, you know, we can tend to beat ourselves up and say, oh, it's obviously, you know, something I've done. Well, is it or isn't it? We, we, you know, you can see. Oops. Do you want to go to mommy? Um, uh, we should look in God's word and we can get counsel from, from other people, from pastor and, 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 and learn to deal with it, you know. And then, you know, some people struggle with, you know, the fact that God would love them at all or anything like that. And the Bible says in Ephesians 1.6 that we're accepted in the beloved, whereas special or accepted are as welcome as the Trinity is amongst itself. <laughs> You know, which is, is a pretty amazing thing. Um, I remember when I first got married and all of a sudden, you know, I, 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 was, I was married to Ruth, but then her family all of a sudden is my family also. And that was kind of weird, you know, just kind of being able to come in and just sit down and, you know, um, talking on the phone to all, all of her brothers and sisters in America and things like that. And that, that, that it was just all so new and um, you're all close now, you're closer because you know, Ruth's family and their family. It was that was just something that was a big change for me in my life or whatever. And um, I can imagine that some people might struggle with the fact that now you're a child of God and now you're, um, God loves you and no matter what, it's unconditional love and um, you just have that bond that cannot be broken. And it's pretty amazing. So I'll move on because we're, oh yeah. Yeah, so these are some of the things that, you know, um, I, I went over that already. Um, so from others. Yeah, this is a big deal. <laughs> so we all know the feeling of being wrongfully accused, right? <laughs> Has it ever happened to you? I don't think it's ever not happened to anybody. Has anyone alive not been wrongfully accused of something, you know? <laughs> um, 
Okay, so it's actually a characteristic of the end times. I thought that was interesting. You know, the, the Bible says, you know, that the, in the in the last days that people will be false accusers, proud boasters, blah, blah. But it says false accusers, which I thought was really fascinating. I didn't, I didn't see that in, in the Bible before. It's one, something new for me. Okay? Um, but the Bible is full of people who've experienced false accusations. Okay? And we obviously know, I know my reaction when someone falsely accused you, often automatically want to defend yourself. And you're like, you know, even when you're a kid, you're like, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't eat your chocolate bar, or whatever it is that you, you're being accused that you did. Okay, but then you know, obviously, when you get older, it gets bigger and it gets more important and <laughs> um, more worrying. Okay, but um, the Bible is full of people who have been wrongfully accused. Jesus also included in in that band. Okay, um, but we can learn from Joseph that it's not the end of the world, and God can use it for good. Okay, so some people might mean it for evil. You know, Joseph was was telling his brothers, but God meant it for good. So God can turn around any sort of wrongful accusation, any kind of situation that you're in he can use it for good and um you know we ought to the bible says in everything give thanks you know and uh, you know a lot of time when we're praying for things um i think we we're talking about this on wednesday you know sometimes we wish we were more patient or we were able to hold our temper better with people or la 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 um you know the, the way to deal with that is to be put under pressure in that sort of sense so if god asks you uh, or if you want to ask God to be more patient, he's going to give you something to be patient about. <laughs> and that, that could be a struggle. So in the same way then, you know, God can use that situation in your life that you don't really like, that false accusation or anything like that, um, and he can use it for good. And that, that's something that we ought to encourage ourselves in the Lord with when we are struggling with that, okay? And then I won't go through some of these examples because we probably have to finish up in a while. But um, from Moses in Numbers 12, he was um, uh, his brother and sister came along and said um, um, has the Lord just spoken through you or has he also spoken through us and um, they had an argument in that sense uh, Moses wasn't wrong in the end but um, from Moses we are taught it's better to be of a humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud okay I'll just move on from that and then Daniel shows us that it's better to keep our integrity in the lion's den than to try and appease those who are against us, okay? So um, people will, will come at you and say things or whatever and get you to change what you know you should be doing, you know, just for their own benefit or because they just don't like you or whatever it is. But Daniel stood his ground, okay? Um, so th these people basically were able to withstand incredible outside pressures. Um, and I'm going to say two things because they were men and women of conviction and a good conscience, okay? So this is... These are the main points we want to take away from false condemnation, okay? Um, to have convictions is to have certain things that you believe and are firmly convinced of. So we need our convictions obviously to be based on, on the Bible and you can obviously develop your convictions more or be more fully persuaded as you're in your Bible, as you're at Bible study or as you're at church events and things like that. You're a Christian fellowship together and just talking and bringing up certain things that you're thinking about or whatever, you know. Um, but the, the, the main idea is to be firmly convinced of it, okay? So a lot of people say they believe certain things, but they do and they don't, okay? And that's why James warns us not to be carried about. Um, you know, like we're like um, ways in the sea just carried about or whatever strange doctrine comes around. And we're like, oh yeah, that must be true or whatever. But um, we, need, we need to have a firm foundation of God's word, okay? And that, that'll help. Um, but then the second part then is our conscience. Um, it's, it's like an accountability partner to our convictions, okay? And our conscience 
um, helps us to, to stay the course and this is what you believe. You might be tempted to veer off course this way, but, but stay, stay going, okay? Um, I have a verse here, 1 Peter 3. Um, so I'm going to say, There's no, there was no other person around to encourage Joseph, Moses and Daniel in those trials that I mentioned there, okay? And um, so they, they needed to have their own personal convictions solid and they needed to have that burden that they wanted to keep their good conscience clear. Um, what would I say here? Did I say... S mm. Oh yeah, um, 1 Peter 3, 16. Having a good conscience that, whereas they speak evil of you, as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. All right. Um, there's another one that um, talks about shipwreck, but I'll, I'll go to that later. All right. So right convictions and a good conscience equals confidence or courage, um, a strength to be able to withstand. So it doesn't mean that people aren't going to falsely accuse you or you're not going to struggle with situations or trials, but it does mean that you'll um, be all the stronger or the more, all the more able to meet those things, okay? So, um, yeah. And this last one isn't very long at all. Lack of condemnation, okay? So, yeah, obviously there's, all the things I was talking about um, were about, um, you know, um, dealing with condemnation in the right way. But this, this particular lack of condemnation is obviously in the bad sense rather than the good sense. Because there is a good sense of having no condemnation upon you. That's lovely. And there's a, a peace with God and a peace of God. But this is the opposite just, just for the sake of the message, okay? So perhaps there's someone here who feels, um, you know, like the message isn't relevant or doesn't matter. Then maybe it's because <laughs> you're in this category. <laughs> All right, so um, a, a lot of people, you know, they're just basically just switched off. Do I have that? Okay, they switched off, one, they're just not engaging in anything, and they're ignoring everything that's around them. That's one way it could be. But this one here I'm mentioning here is um, people who've got convictions or things that they believe or whatever, that they're all, all mixed up, okay? So the easiest way to, to, um, to describe what I'm talking about or whatever is that a lot of people choose to believe something else other than the God of the Bible, because it makes it easier for them to deal with what they're dealing with, okay? So you can put off any condemnation that you feel from the Bible by saying, ah, sure, that's just a bunch of fairy tales. It's a dusty old book from 2,000 years ago or more, um, blah, blah, blah. And that way, you're putting off that sense of condemnation. Or, you know, you could talk to someone and they could say, um, sure, there's nothing after we die or whatever. I'll be six foot under, you know, I'd be worm food, blah, blah, blah. Um, and that's another way of kind of just disengaging and pushing that thing out of the way, okay? And um, you'll find a lot of people then, they, um, they have basically a mixed up conviction. Jesus talked about um, people who strained at a gnat and swallowed a camel, okay? So you've got all this evidence for the God of the Bible, blah, blah. They'll, they'll just throw that out like swallow a camel or whatever like that. And then they're straining at something else. I've read a statement that um, some guy who was... Um, I know I had to bring up American politics or whatever, but he was giving out about Trump, but he was saying, who was saying that there, he had no moral compass, okay? <laughs> this person was saying that Trump had no moral compass. But then it's all relative because what's a moral compass or whatever, um, you know, so these people are just, their moral compasses get Trump out. <laughs> and maybe Trump's moral compasses keep Trump in. <laughs> you know, that sort of idea, okay? But then there's no basis or there's no foundation. It's all relative, okay? And that's just one way that people get out of, of this kind of thing. All right, um, and people busy themselves with a lot, um, a lot of different issues, 
and they're really, really passionate about it. Like, um, some people are very worried about um, the tons of plastic that the fish are swimming around in the sea. Okay. Now, am I saying that that's not anything to worry about? No. Okay. But when you compare it to eternal salvation, the things of God, you know, you're, you're talking about something that's definitely on a lower level that you'd want to have these ducks in a row first before you deal with that, because um, that's not the be all and end all. Okay. Um, so, you know, and a lot of people, uh, I'm in this boat too, you know, it's, it's easy to worry about the, the second wave of COVID coming through. Is anybody worried about that? But are we concerned about the second coming of Jesus Christ? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? There are things that are much higher um, and we get caught with all that lower stuff. I'm not saying that it's not, that it, I'm not saying it's a good thing or anything like that. I'm just saying there's a, an order here, okay? So we need to have our, our priorities straight because the Bible says, you know, we could worry about trees and we could worry about fish and all that kind of stuff. But the Bible says, um, um, you know, I can't quote it exactly because my mind is running here. But Mark 836, 836 says something about um, the value of a soul. Let me get this back to Mark. Luke, Mark 836. For what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? There you go. Um, so th this is something that's more important than, you know, getting the political situation in Ireland more stable or, you know, having your pension all set up or whatever it is that you are worried about, okay? Um, and we tend to put off bigger things um, by getting concerned about little things, okay? And then the last part then is through damaging our conscience, okay? So First Timothy calls, talks about the concept of searing our conscience, burning our conscience, damaging our conscience, that it doesn't operate anymore, okay? So, um, yeah, I, I saw... A, a I was watching an interview with this guy who had, um, um, he was learning to be a pilot and he was far along that he was doing solo flying in his Cessna airplane or whatever it was. And then all of a sudden he looked down and there was flames coming down by his feet and he was a thousand feet in the air. You know? <laughs> and um, basically he was a survivor of that because despite the, the, the cockpit starting to burn up, he managed to um, keep his cool. And <laughs> go down to like, uh, he lowered the plane down 15 feet and he had to actually just jump off the plane like a Hollywood movie. But he was um, destroyed, like he was uh, months and months repairing and he was all burnt, you know. He was all burnt on his head and he was burnt on his face um, from that incident. But you know, that, that's the whole concept of when our, our conscience is seared, there's a lack of feeling and there's a destruction there, okay? And we need to be worried about that, okay? so. Um, we need to care about our conscience. Um, there's a story here about um, one of the last real pirates of the Caribbean. His name was Charles Gibbs. Um, so uh, he was a terror to commerce in the West Indies and South America for many years. And he was at last taken captive, condemned and executed in the city of New York at the age of 32. So he acknowledged before his death when he committed the first murder and plundered the first ship that compunctions were severe. Conscience was on the rack and made hell within his bosom. But after he had sailed for years under the black flag, his conscience became so hardened and blunted that he could rob a vessel and murder all of its crew 
and then lie down and sleep as sweetly at night as an infant in its cradle. His remorse diminished as his crimes increase. Okay, so obviously what we choose um, first to think about affects, um, affects our mind. You know, the Bible says in Ephesians 4, uh, talking about people who are past feeling. So this guy was past feeling. Um, and then obviously then like the, like the verse here, like the story, in turn, what we allow ourselves to do affect our body, you know, and, and it says in Psalms, you know, that first we look at it when we're doing discipleship. Um, um, uh, I can't remember that now either. I'm turning to Psalm 32 here. Psalm 32, 3 says, When I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. You know, so, obviously... Um, someone is dealing there with a conscience that's uh, uh, really maxed out. <laughs> okay, so um, I'll, I'll just wrap up here so because we need to wrap up. If there are some of you here today who are past feeling and have a seared conscience, obviously my prayer for you is that God would give you a new heart and new desires. Like it says in Ezekiel 36, a new heart also will I give you and a new spirit will I put within you and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh and I'll give you a heart of flesh. So, um, conclusion, just the three points. Just condemnation, this is what one feels when we have done something clearly wrong before God. We can choose to get offended by it or humble ourselves and get right. False condemnation, this doesn't come from God but from within us or from others around us. Working on having right convictions and keeping a good conscience can help us withstand it or to, to, to stand through it. And a lack of condemnation, this is when we ought to be worried but we are not. Instead, we justify ourselves with lesser causes and distract ourselves with worldly things, okay? So, um, we'll go on to the next one, invitation. So basically, are you cold towards God's will and his ways? Ask God to do a work in your heart. Um, King David repented of his seared conscience after his sin with Bathsheba, um, praying, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. And then if you're struggling under the bird of condemnation in whatever form, obviously God can help. Matthew 11 says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So I'm just going to pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for the time we get to spend in your word. I pray, Lord, you bless the message to people's spiritual health and their lives, Lord. Uh, I, I know the burden of condemnation is quite a heavy burden, Lord, and I pray that everyone would be able to um, decipher and divide um, what it is that they're dealing with, and um, from your word, Lord, just get the help that they need, Lord, and the healing that they need as well. So we just, um, just love you, Lord, and we thank you for the time we got to spend, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.